Today in studio, we're thrilled to be featuring Emmy-nominated writer Beth Armagita as we read her rousing crime pilot, Charlotte Tanner. So don't move a muscle. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unproduced Table right here on the Popcorn Talk Network. This is the theme to Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I don't know if any of you guys watch this show. <laughs> yes, I think the it. script we're reading today kind of has shades of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, shades of just a lot of kind of classic cop procedurals, but with a very, very fresh twist, so I can't wait to get into it. Before we do that, guys, my name is Jeff Graham. If you want to find me online, you can do so at Jeffrey C. Graham. This is the Unproduced Table Read. This is a show where we read Hollywood's hottest unproduced pilots and features, and today we're reading a wonderful pilot by the very, very smart Beth Armagita, so we're very excited to have you, Beth. Thank you, Jeff. Rousing. 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 <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we'll get to you in a minute, Beth, but before we do that, I have an amazing cast of actors who I would love to introduce. What's up, everybody? I am Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. And today I will be reading Daniel Gibson, a.k.a. Gibby, and male support group victim. Hey guys, I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer, and I'll be reading for Charlotte. Hey everybody, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me everywhere at Andrew Guy, and I'll be reading Mike, Frank, David, and the Robber. And I love this music for our intro. Yeah, like, very powerful. <laughs> very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Powerful script. I am Haley O'Connor, and today I am reading Allison, Tango, Peppa Flores, and Lady and Victim Support Group. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Adrienne Snow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrienne Snow, and I'm reading for Lois, Victoria, and various other characters. Hey, I'm Joe Sanfilippo. You can find me at Joe Flippo, and I'll be reading for Dr. Bradley, Mr. Faircloth, Shaw, Trip, and Moonfaced Badass. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and as I mentioned, guys, we have Beth Armagita in studio with us, who's like very much like a real writer. We're very excited to have you. Everyone on the show that <laughs> yes. we feature. Wow. Burn everyone up. But what Burn. I mean is like we have the honor of having like an Emmy nominated WGA. I'm hearing now that that wording maybe wasn't the most respectful <laughs> real writer. I thought you nailed it. <laughs> but you have a very long and impressive history on a lot of broadcasts, including Jay Leno, Whose Line Is It Anyway? You wrote for the Oscars. Most recently, The Mysteries of Laura, which I think this script um, has shades of. So, oh, thank B- you. Besides my terrible job hosting. Most <laughs> well-established, maybe. Well-established would probably be Here a better go. word. Um, I would love for you to kind of give us a one-minute preview as to the world we'll be entering today in Charlotte Tanner. Oh, okay. Charlotte Tanner was inspired by a story I came up with a, a while ago that... Uh, was trying to figure out why the bad guys have advantages over good guys. Why do some bad guys, especially the worst ones, um, it's because they don't care if they live or die. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, how can we win over somebody who doesn't care if they live or die? How can you go up against it? Because the good guys want to live. Hmm. And so that's a major advantage. And I thought, well, what if our good guy doesn't necessarily uh, not going to knows that they're not going to live. Wow. So then I took that idea and I put it in my back pocket and then I saw Justified, which is one of my favorite shows and that changed everything and the way TV is now. Graham Yost created it and I thought, "Wow, what a kick-ass character, what a wonderful character." And I thought Charlotte Tanner would be great for TV and so I wrote it as a pilot. Amazing. And so that's what I did and I had to come up with some way that she would be possibly um, a short time on this earth, not to give away too much, but yeah, and uh, so I had to figure out, well, it's not a brain tumor where, you know, it's going to be the shortest uh, television series in history <laughs> where it's three episodes. I wanted something that would, she could drop in five days or in five years, depending on how long the network wants to carry the show. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where it came from. That's the, the basic thing about 
that. That gives her an advantage over the bad guys, or at least mm. on equal terms. Cool. What a fresh take, because we've sort of seen the trope of the terminal character, most recently with like Weeds and Breaking Bad, but I think your approach and rationale behind making that decision is very fresh. Um, and it plays in the script, so I can't wait to get into it. Um, that being said, guys, today we're reading um, Beth Armagita's pilot, Charlotte Tanner, and we're going to get into it right now. Yay. Teaser. Exterior strip mall day. Charlotte Tanner, late 30s, attractive, dressed for work, carefully exits a nail salon and takes on her cell phone, takes out her cell phone with an earpiece. She walks toward a convenience store in the same strip mall. Ah, Jesus, Gibby. I just got my nails done for the first time in six months. The guy will still be dead if I get there in a half hour from now, okay? Charlotte hangs up the cell phone and drops it into her purse. Charlotte tries to open the door to the convenience store, and a customer wearing a cap and sunglasses walks up and opens the door. She shows her newly polished nails. Oh, thanks a lot. What nails? He ignores her, and the door slams against Charlotte's body as she enters. Hate is such an easy emotion. <laughs> Interior convenience store continuous. Charlotte enters the convenience store. She delicately retrieves a can of Diet Coke and a bag of chips, walks up to the counter, and places them in front of the store clerk. Oh, uh, and a pack of Marlboro Lights, please. Make that more packs. Charlotte tries to reach into her purse... Could you please get my wallet out of my purse? The store clerk pulls out her wallet. Oh, thanks. The white debit card. Thanks again. Charlotte's point of view. In the security mirror in the corner of the store, we see the robber slash customer, who is the same customer from earlier with his cap down over his face, walking with a large pocket knife behind Charlotte. Back to scene. Charlotte calmly reaches into her purse, pulls out her cell phone, and hits redial. She notices her smudged nail. Ah, oh, damn it. Into her phone. Gibby, 211 in progress at a 24 stop in Olympic. The robber pushes Charlotte aside and points the knife at the store clerk. Charlotte hides her phone. All your cash, now. Hurry. Char Charlotte stands next to the counter holding the soda can. The robber points the knife at Charlotte. Don't you fucking move, lady. Not fucking moving. The robber reaches across the counter and grabs the cash out of the store clerk's hands. As soon as the robber turns to run, Charlotte is already shaking the can of soda. Run. The store clerk runs away from the counter. The robber turns back around and Charlotte opens the soda can right in his face. As the robber reacts, Charlotte reaches into her purse and pulls out her gun. Act one. Oh, we just skipped a page. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Charlotte yells to robber. Please, don't you fucking move. The robber makes a move towards Charlotte. Charlotte looks around the corner, grabs a slim Jim beef jerky stick, and jabs it in his eye. He yells in pain. She grabs his arm and uses her elbow to smash the side of his face and kicks out his feet from under him, all in what seems to be one quick move. The robber is on the ground and confused, still holding the knife. Charlotte stands over him and points her gun at his head. A police car with a siren pulls up to the store. Uh, who the hell are you? I told you already. Police. Charlotte kicks the knife out from his hands. Uh, why don't men ever listen? Charlotte kicks him in the kidney area and the robber yells out in pain. And you owe me a French manicure. Charlotte kicks him again. A second police car pulls up and Charlotte turns toward the store entrance. The robber reaches for the loose knife and stabs Charlotte once in the thigh. Blood pours out from her leg. As she bends over to put pressure on it, she also points her gun at him ready to shoot, but she hesitates. The robber laughs, lunges upward, and pushes her gun aside and stabs her in the cheek. She pulls the knife out of her face and throws it across the room. She drops the gun, and as the robber reaches for the gun, she kicks him in the kidney with her good leg. When the officer enters with guns drawn, a bloody Charlotte looks up at them. It's okay. I'm a police officer. The robber grabs her foot and pulls her down to the floor, and she bangs against a display. They roll around for a few seconds, and she punches him in the groin. Then he punches her. She rolls over to her side and grabs her chest in pain. The robber grabs her gun and aims at her. 
From Charlotte's point of view, as things get dizzy, we hear a gunshot and things go black. End of teaser. Act one, interior hospital room next morning. Charlotte is lying in a hospital bed and attached to several monitors. Daniel Gibby Gibson, 30s, is sitting beside the bed and Charlotte awakens. Gibby? Oh, please don't tell me I was shot with my own gun. I won't hear the end of it. You were shot with your own gun. He cut you a few times, but officers took down the suspect. He's dead. Charlotte is relieved. And you had a heart attack. Yeah, right. I just must have slipped or something. Charlotte starts to get up and removes one of the monitors attached to her finger, and the monitor beeps. Where are my clothes? You're my partner. You're in charge of keeping track of my clothes. We've been through this before. A male nurse stops her and holds her down. Dr. Bradley, early 30s, hot, enters. Hey, hey, what the hell? Charlotte, damn it, Charlotte, you had a heart attack. It's okay. The nurse lets go of her. That's ridiculous. I'm only 38. I'm guessing you're the doc. You may want to examine my partner who's gone mental. Hi, Charlotte. I'm Dr. Bradley. Is Bradley your last name, or are you one of those doctors who thinks it's cute to use your first name so that'll be easier for the patient to hear that she's dying? Well, Bradley's my last name, but you can call me Dr. Derek if you want to. And you're not dying. But we believe you did have a moderate heart attack. Charlotte is quiet. Told you. (laughs) So do you have any history of heart problems in your family? Well, my father died of a heart attack at 45, and my mother died from heart disease eight years ago. Thank goodness I smoke, eat poorly, and have a stress-free job. Right. Um, Well, well, we're going to need to do some more tests. Um, The most important thing for you to do right now is to rest. And I'll be back at the end of my rounds to answer any questions you might have. Dr. Bradley and the nurse exit. Charlotte lies back in bed, and she notices a silk flower arrangement. Beautiful flowers. They're silk, so you can't kill them. Captain Salinger had them sent. He's been here a couple of times when you were unconscious. Well, that's nice. Well, it's the same hospital where his wife's on that respirator. Just have to ruin it, don't you? Can you believe it? She's almost been there three years. She's been in a coma. <clears throat> Can't pull the plug. I guess not everyone's as trigger-happy as you are. Captain Mike Salinger, 40s, roughly handsome, strong and silent type, very serious, sticks his head in the door and then enters. Hey, Captain. I was in the neighborhood, so I thought I'd see how our patient was. Stubborn, nasty, and irritable. I'm ignoring my douchebag partner just long enough to thank you for the beautiful flowers. Hey, this douchebag has been sitting here for the past 20 hours holding your hand. And maybe fondly like one breast. The flowers are from everyone in the department. I'm glad you're on the mend. Hope to see you back in the office soon. We need you. Thanks, Mike. You know, I can go down to the lobby and get some coffee if you guys want to talk. That's okay. I better get on my way. Mike turns to leave. Wait, do I... Need to fill out any paperwork? Or... We took care of it. Don't worry. What about the Quincy homicide? The evidence is still being processed. It's all covered, Charlotte. Yeah, but I was... Gibby puts his hand over her mouth. I really have to go. Charlotte waves by. Mike exits. Man, Salinger is the most serious person I've ever met. Can you imagine him in the bedroom? Take off your pants. I'm going to have intercourse with you now. <laughs> Charlotte bites his hand and he yanks it away. Ow! God, you're mean. Even when you're in ICU... Hey, you should get out of here, too. I can stay. No, you have to catch the bad guys. Well, all right. In your honor, I promise to overreact on a routine call and grab a suspect's balls like a vice. Charlotte gives him a thumbs up as Gibby exits. She looks around the room and then stares at the ceiling, scared. Interior, Charlotte's house a few nights later. Charlotte enters her house. She's limping and her face has a bandage. Obviously, she's the only one who lives there. She puts down her purse with dried blood on it, along with some various bags of medications from the hospital. She notices a note on the server in the hallway. Fed Sam and put him to bed. Glad you're home. A Labrador retriever runs in from another room and greets her. Sam. She pets him. Did Chrissy take good care of you when I was gone? Suddenly, there's a loud knock on the door. It startles Charlotte. 
She looks out the peephole and then opens the door. Mike enters and closes the door, and Mike and Charlotte passionately embrace. I was so worried about you. I'm fine. Well, even though you're fine, I'll just hold you for a while. Thank you. Mike picks her up, walks her over to the couch, and sits down with her, laying in his arms. They're still embracing, not kissing, just embracing. Do you want me to turn on the TV? Charlotte shakes her head no. Pour your drink? Shakes her head no. Rub your feet? Charlotte nods yes. Okay. He pulls her foot towards him and starts rubbing it as he holds her. Interior, police station. Two weeks later. Business as usual. Gibby is sitting at his desk. He's on the phone. Sitting in an out-of-place chair next to him is Officer Allison Rizzi. Late 20s, clean cut, in uniform. I already told you my name. Detective Dan Gibson. My partner and I submitted the evidence for the Quincy case over two weeks ago, and since she's returning to work today, she'll want to see the goddamn forensics report. Not tomorrow. Today, as in the same 24-hour period we're conversing right now. Gibson listens, then grabs his gun from his drawer and pretends to fire it at the phone. He then puts down his gun and listens again. I'm not being nasty. Believe me. I'm the nicer one. You're, you really don't want to have to deal with... Wait, you know what? I'll just have Detective Tanner call you. That should be fun. <laughs> Gibby hangs up the phone and looks over at Allison. If you ever wondered if a person in the records division can be a putz, the answer is yes. So, how long have you been in the force? Uh, six years and eight and a half months, not including academy training. Six years and eight and a half months. How nice. And now you're being made a detective. That's just ducky. Start wearing street clothes tomorrow. And remember, this is a temporary while Detective Tanner gets her sea legs back. Yes, sir. I told my fiancé this morning that I'm really excited to work with her. I mean, Charlotte Tanner is a legend, especially among us female officers. How's that? Well, she's brilliant and tough and aggressive and still can be, you know, cute. <laughs> you haven't met her yet, have you? No. Remember Bruce Willis's character, John McClane, from Die Hard? Picture him with a vagina. <laughs> Allison closes her eyes and tries to picture it. Not cute, is it? No. Mm. Charlotte enters the main office area and walks to her desk. There's a walking cane, a bottle of Metamucil, and a bag of Depends on her chair. All right, all right. You can all kiss my skinny with a hint of cellulite ass. Everyone laughs and applauds to welcome her back. Gibby walks up. Welcome back. Good to be back, I must say. Charlotte sits at her desk. Next to a stack of files are a dozen roses. She starts to open the card. They're from Dr. Bradley. Looks like somebody made an impression. I'm his youngest heart patient by at least 20 years. He can't help but get a heart on. <laughs> Charlotte tosses the card in the trash, and Gibby immediately takes the card out of the trash and puts it on, on the desk in front of Charlotte. Charlotte, maybe this is a good time to start a life outside of this hellhole. Get some romance. Don't stop things before they even have a chance. As Gibby walks toward his desk... Don't get soft on me, Gib. You must be Detective Tanner. We see Allison still standing by Gibby's desk. Shit, I forgot. Charlotte, this is Officer and Detective in Training Ritzy. Allison gets up and walks over to shake Charlotte's hand before she even has a chance not to. Allison, I'm honored to meet you. They stop shaking. You're polite. I already don't like you. Allison is a little baffled. Don't worry. It could be much worse. Captain, what's up? Mike walks up to Charlotte, Gibby, and Allison. Uh, we have a homicide downtown on Broadway. One victim, suspect in custody. Gibson, you're the lead. Take uh, Officer Ritzy here with you. Mike refers to Allison. <clears throat> and make sure you get Goody Two-Shoes home before dark. She's working with you? Ritzy here is assigned to both of you, but since you're still not 100%, you're stuck on desk duty. Charlotte stands up and then pulls Mike a few steps away. Mike, how the hell am I supposed to investigate crimes from my desk? Charlotte, I don't want to get into this right now. It's what I think is best. And you think having Miley Cyrus take my place is best? Look, she holds the record for the highest score on the detective exam. Wait, I have the record. <laughs> Not anymore. She beat you by two points. Well, I want to take it again. If I get a bleeding ulcer, it'll have your DNA all over it. 
Look, until you're given the green light by the doctors, I expect you to be a happy little team player. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. Good. Mike exits to his office, and Gibby grabs his coat. Have fun answering the phone, team player. I won't, because I'm going along with you. (laughs) Charlotte grabs her keys and gun, and Gibby stops her. Hey, I don't like this any more than you do. No offense. (laughs) I'll follow you guys so you won't get in trouble. Plus, this way I won't feel like a third wheel. Gibby and Allison leave, and Charlotte follows. Exterior, downtown apartment building, day establishing. It's an older building in need of repair and in in a not-so-great part of downtown. Interior city apartment continuous. Gibby, Charlotte, and Allison enter the apartment, which is covered in crime scene tape. The living room is like a museum for useless knickknacks. There is a dead old lady lying in the living room floor in a pool of blood. Several police officers are measuring and fingerprinting throughout the apartment, and a guy in a coroner jacket is waiting. Officer Monty greets them. There was a 911 call from the neighbors. They heard the old couple fighting. There was some yelling, then whispering, then more yelling, and then several banging noises. As Charlotte puts on the rubber gloves and looks around and looks around the body... Thin walls. Brings back memories. First apartment and first serious boyfriend. Charlotte crouches down and moves the old lady's head to see her wound. We usually had sex in the kitchen, so we wouldn't put on a show for the guy next door listening and jerking off. Blunt force <laughs> trauma to the head. At least three gashes. She didn't know what hit her. Charlotte <laughs> tends to talk and run on sentences. Actually, she did know what or who hit her. Her 82-year-old husband, he's being held down at headquarters, says he doesn't remember anything. They were married to each other for 60 years. Wow, that's a long time. Charlotte slowly stands up. She's obviously in pain, and her hands are shaking. If he really wanted her to suffer, he would have let her live and stayed married to her. (laughs) You all right, partner? Never better. Charlotte takes off her bloody gloves and hands them to Allison. Allison doesn't know what to do, so she holds them in her gloved hand. So I'm guessing this is probably a manslaughter case. Gibby. One blow to the head, manslaughter's a good possibility. Three blows, not so good. It's a horrible way for a sweet little old lady to die. Charlotte looks at some old figurines on a nearby shelf. Allison shadows her. Hummels. My Grammy collected those. So did the Nazis. Aren't you supposed to shadow Detective Gibson? <laughs> yes, but he said I should watch you whenever possible because you're the best. Charlotte puts her face close to Allison's face. Really? What does your gut tell you, Detective, in training? That Detective Gibson is using me to irritate you as part of an ongoing joke between you guys. <laughs> and it didn't work? Oh, it worked. Charlotte turns away to leave, but then turns back to Allison. It's Allison, right? Finish up here with Detective Gibson, and when you're done, we meet back at the station. We're going to have a little chat with the suspect. Sure, Detective. Charlotte walks to the front door. She flips Gibby the bird as she walks by him. Love you, too. Gibby turns back to the crime scene. Okay, let's bag up the old gal. End of Act 1. <laughs> Act 2. Interior, or exterior, police headquarters. A little later, establishing. Interior, police headquarters hallway. Gibby and Allison walk down the hallway and meet with Charlotte, who is standing next to the interrogation room. Do you guys stop and get a facial or something? I was about to go in there and have all the fun myself. Charlotte, maybe you should let me handle this one without you. The, the guy is 82 years old. I doubt if he's going to give me any trouble. You're not even technically supposed to be doing this until you're cleared. If the captain hears about it, then... I'll let you do most of the talking, okay, Gib? Newbie, you can watch for the next room. should only take a few minutes. Then, as Gibby opens the door, Charlotte's face changes from stone cold as they enter the interrogation room. Interior interrogation room continuous. Charlotte and Gibby sit down at the table across from Mr. Faircloth. Mr. Faircloth, I'm Detective Gibson, and this is my partner, Detective Tanner. We know you hit your wife over the head at least three times with a teapot. You told the officer that you can't remember anything. Care to elaborate? Uh, I go in to make some, some Folgers Instant, the next thing I know, uh, Minnie's on the floor and there's, there's, there's blood, you know, L- lots of blood. He wipes away a tear. The neighbors say that you and your wife were fighting. A uh, damn neighbor should mind their damn business. So were you fighting or not? 
Well, well now, now this morning we had a spat. Oh, oh, or was that yesterday? I, uh, you know, my mind's been very confused lately. I... Charlotte's phone alarm goes off. She pulls it out of her pocket and tries to stop it, pushing buttons frantically on the phone. Oh, God, I hate this shit. She finally stops the alarm. You know, if, if you update to the newer 4G version like mine, you, you, know, you, you might not have that problem. <laughs> Mr. Faircloth shows her his phone. I wasn't talking about my phone. The shit I hate is when someone's lying. Charlotte stands up. She takes off her jacket and tosses it up to cover the security camera. She turns and leans across the table in Mr. Faircloth's direction. Why did you kill your wife? I already said that I don't remember. Charlotte slaps him in the face hard. You just slapped me. No, I didn't. Did you see me slap him? No. Your mind is playing tricks on you. I mean, Uh, you can't remember killing your wife and you think I'm slapping you. Charlotte slaps him in the face again. Why did you kill your wife? I I, I don't remember. Charlotte grabs his shirt. She's now Uh, on top of the table and her face is in his face. We don't believe you. Uh, Gibby takes Charlotte's hands off of Mr. Faircloth's shirt and straightens out his collar. Look. We know you waited until she wasn't looking. You snuck up behind her and bashed in her skull. You knew what you were doing. Admit it, or she's going to get angry. Uh, I want to talk to a lawyer. Fine. Gibby and Charlotte stand up. Charlotte reaches for her jacket and pulls it off the security camera, and they exit. Interior courthouse jail hallway continuous. Charlotte and Gibby exit. Allison joins them. Did you have to hit the old man? One more time and I was ready to confess. (laughs) Sorry, Gib. I'm a little on edge. You think so? You know, there's always a chance he could be just going crazy in his old age and he really doesn't remember what he did. Well, I smell a rat. And I don't care how old he is. To Allison. Check the old guy's cell phone records and his emails. See if there's someone he's been contacting a lot. My guess is female, 50s, divorced. But he's over 80. Yeah. And he has a newer phone than I do. Complete with a very cool case. (laughs) He'd not buy that for himself if you get my drift. Yes, ma'am. Allison walks away. At the, other, at the other end of the hall, Mike pokes his head out of his office. Charlotte, my office, now. Good luck. Gibby smiles and quickly shuffles away. Charlotte walks towards Mike's office. Interior of Mike's office a few moments later. Mike sits on the edge of his desk, and Charlotte enters and closes the door. One of the other detectives was walking past the interrogation room and heard you yelling and possibly even striking a frail old man. Is that true? Yeah, but... Uh, but do I even have to tell you how pissed off I am right now? And that it pisses me off even more. I know what you're going to say. I shouldn't have been so rough with the old asshole. He's guilty, Mike, and I have to tell you that old man smell really lingers in your nostrils. God damn it, Charlotte. You're not on full duty. You're limited to your desk. That's what desk duty means. I know what desk duty then means. Then do it. If I wanted to waste away, sit on my ass all day and do nothing, I'd have your job. Sorry, didn't mean it. I say the words coming out of my mouth, and I saw them. I couldn't stop them. Just forgive me. <laughs> you would like me to forgive you because that would be easier for you. Well. Damn it. I, can't you at least say you're sorry? I'm sorry. Charlotte turns to leave. Hold on. We do need to talk about something else. Here. Charlotte turns back, and Mike gives her a piece of paper. What's this? Information for a victim support group. She tries to hand it back to him. The recycle bin is down the hall. It's a new department policy, Charlotte, and they're not screwing around. It's out of my hands. You need to do this before you can return to active assignment. This is bullshit. Mike puts his hand on her arm, and she softens at his touch. Deal with it, okay? Nobody can be 100% after what you went through. It'll be good for you. If you, don't do it, if, <clears throat> if you won't do it for the department, do it for me. I'll think about it. Interior church meeting room night. There's a victim support group in progress. Charlotte is sitting in a circle with others in the group. It's a room with a very heavy feel. Victoria, the group therapist, is a warm, calming presence. It's so dark. 
All I could see was this gun pointed at me. I asked him not to hurt me, that I was married with kids, and that my nose started to bleed. When I saw the blood, I passed out. When I woke up, he had taken all my cash and was gone. It was two years ago, and I still have nightmares. Thank you for sharing your story. We all know it's not easy to talk about the events that brought us here. But the more we do, the sooner we can get past the feeling of being a victim. We have two newcomers tonight for our victim support group. Charlotte, would you like to start? Nah, you know, I have to attend this group for work, so please, I'm fine just to sit and listen if that's okay with everybody. Of course, Charlotte. But please know that we're here to support each other. Whatever you have to say, it's not going to shock us. The group reacts in various comments to Aegon Charlotte. Sorry. It's okay. You can tell us anything. We're here for you. Okay. Uh, in a nutshell, I'm a police detective, and recently, while off-duty, I encountered an armed robber, and he stabbed me in the leg and in the face, and right when they <laughs> shot him, I had a heart attack and almost died, and I'll probably have this scar forever, so... Charlotte points to the scar on her face, and the group members react and nod. We're all scarred. That's... Very brave of you to open up like that. Like the gentleman who uh, spoke before, I'd been mugged too. But my 14th time, I was shot in the shoulder by a crackhead and by the bullet that just went right through me. And my partner said, when I walked, I actually whistled. A few of the group members cringe and look around. And then there was that serial rapist who attacked me in the car. There was so much blood, it hurt the resale value of my Camaro. The blood was his, of course. <laughs> a female group member gasps. Others seem uncomfortable. Oh, and then I was run over by a three-striker. Does that count? There are others. I'm just forgetting. Thank you, Detective. <laughs> Next, we have Lois. <laughs> Lois Bancroft, 60s, classic, wealthy beauty, gracefully stands up with perfect posture. My daughter, Rachel, only had one fight, and she lost. She was strong like you. And unbeknownst to Rachel, her fiancé was in deep debt to a drug dealer. Interior, Rachel Bancroft's living room day. Flashback. It's an upscale home. The doorbell rings. Rachel Bancroft, 30s, answers the door. David Galvez, late 20s, tattoos but sharply dressed, and his henchman bursts through the door and grab Rachel. Rachel struggles. She fights hard. The henchman punches her in the face and she drops to the floor unconscious. Galvez and the henchman look in the other rooms and then return. The henchman drags Rachel out the door. When the dealer came to collect... Uh... Rachel's fiancé was not home, and there was a struggle. They knocked her unconscious and took her, and they, they took her in broad daylight. Interior, Galvez's car, day, flashback. The car comes to a stop at the side of an isolated road. The henchman gets out of the passenger side, and in the back seat, Rachel wakes up and retrieves her cell phone from her pocket. She does this with as little motion as possible. As soon as she dials 911, the back door opens, and Rachel is dragged out of the car. We hear screams, and she's murdered. She lived long enough to call 911. I found her two days later near the river. Exterior, near the river. Quick series of shots, flashback. Quick edits of close-up shots in Rachel's attack. Very violent. They wanted to send her fiancé a message. We had to identify her with um, dental records. Interior, church meeting room night. Back to scene. I'm here because she can't be here. I'm her voice now. Lois sits down. Exterior church building an hour later. Charlotte is first in the group to reach her car, a beaten-up 1968 Camaro SS convertible. Lois walks up to her. Detective Tanner? You know my name. It's my business to know people's names. I'm Lois Bancroft. Yeah, I read about you in the newspaper. Sorry for the loss of your daughter. I want you to help me to find her murderer. 
look, I have 11 more of these group meetings to get through, okay? And then I can get back to my life again, and that's all I give a damn about, really. And I just sounded like a real asshole just then. Sorry. You know, there are top officers on your daughter's case, and I'm sure the person responsible will be arrested. Charlotte opens the door and sits in her car. I don't care if he's arrested. I want him dead. And my gut tells me you're the one who can do that. Uh, that's not what cops do. Well, money is no object. For a cop, money is an object. Lois gives Charlotte a business card. I'm not going to give up, detective. Here's my personal cell number. Only seven people have it. And now you're number eight. Have a nice evening, Miss Bancroft. Please, call me Lois. Only three people do that. <laughs> Lois winks at her. Charlotte suppresses a smile as she closes the car door. As Charlotte speeds off, a large Mercedes pulls up with the driver. Lois gets in the back seat. Home, please. Lois closes her car door and the Mercedes drives away. Interior headquarters the next day. Charlotte is working from her desk. Gibby sits down at his desk across from her. Where's the newbie? Just following up on your lead and checking the old man's phone and internet records. Young Officer Ritzy really admires you. She can't stop talking about you. Yeah, well, I read her bio. I'm guessing she's praying for me, too. Gee, maybe we can hang out after work, and I can help her look for a wedding dress, and maybe we can become best friends, and we'd get our periods at the same time. <laughs> oh, if, it, if I didn't know you better, I'd say there was sexual tension between you two females. Oh, you would love me to go lesbian, wouldn't you? I'm torn. Charlotte looks through some filed copies that she's printed out. What do you know about Rachel Bancroft homicide about a month ago? Not much. Heiress to one of the greatest media dynasties of all time, first reported missing and then discovered in two trash bags, then arrested a dude, but he bailed out and then bailed. The dude is David Galvez, Guatemalan cartel on the south side. What's he doing in one of the richest neighborhoods? Gibby gets up and walks around to look over Charlotte's shoulder. Wait, wait, why do you care? No reason. You can't lie to me. I've never, I've seen you naked. That was ten years ago and I was much perkier then. No arguments here. Charlotte calls up a photo of Lois. This is Lois Bancroft. I ran into her last night at Victim's Group. Wow. That's a nice friend to have. She's not my friend. Just asked if I would look into it. Be careful. Salinger said you can't leave this desk. He'll be pissed if you mess with any suspects again. Lois Bancroft, high school in Texas, graduated from Stanford, first job at the New York Times. Boring. Let's check her personal life. Holy shit, she dated Sinatra? Harry, Henry Kissinger and Mick Jagger. Allison enters and walks up behind them. Who? Charlotte quickly clicks to another internet page. Some old broad. No, I mean, who's Mick Jagger? Charlotte and Gibby just stare at Allison. <laughs> I'm screwing with you guys. I know who Mick Jagger is. I, I was just screwing with you. <laughs> she was screwing with us. I'm going to lunch. <laughs> Charlotte picks up her purse. It's only 1045. Why are you going to lunch now? Oh, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, bye, bye, bye. It's Washington and Gilroy's case. They're pretty territorial on the high-profile stuff. Charlotte tries to ignore him. She grabs her bag and walks a little to another area of desks. Washington and Gilroy are standing by a bulletin board of suspect photos. Gilroy, Washington, I'm I'm fishing around the Rachel Bancroft case. Just a little, just for kicks. You don't mind, do you? I didn't think so. Thanks. Charlotte doesn't even come to a complete stop. She heads for the exit door before Gilroy and Washington can even react. Charlotte, wait up. Let's go. Gibby grabs his keys, badge, and gun. Where? Surveillance. Surveillance? That's so cool. (laughs) Gibby rolls his eyes. Exterior, rough neighborhood, day. Gibby's POV as he slowly drives away and parks.
Interior of Gibby's car. Charlotte, Gibby, and Allison are looking at a house across the street. Whose place is this? The residence of the best friend of uh, uh, best friend of Laura Mendoza. Laura Mendoza is the girlfriend of David Galvez, drug dealer to the rich. Gibby? Charlotte thinks that all drug dealers sleep with their friend, girlfriends as best friends. Call it female intuition. Charlotte gives Gibby a, no it's not, look. Or don't. It's a hunch. Exterior, old house, continuous. Charlotte exits the car and limps across the street. She steps up to the porch of the house and knocks on the door. Police! I want to ask you some questions about David Galvez. Charlotte waits a couple seconds, then knocks again. Police! Please open the door! Suddenly, a bullet blasts through the door right next to Charlotte's head. Charlotte leaps to the side of the door and ducks. Interior, Gibby's car, continuous. Oh, damn it! That's a gunshot! Oh, you get a star for the day! (laughs) Angle on the old house, continuous. David Galvez runs outside of the side of the house and cross the lawn in the opposite direction of Gibby and Allison. Seconds later, Charlotte runs after Galvez. Damn it! Gibby starts the car and chases after Galvez and Charlotte. Exterior, rough neighborhood, continuous. Galvez runs behind an apartment complex and jumps over a high fence. Charlotte jumps over the fence and leaps off from the top of it in full motion. Charlotte chases Galvez across the parking lot. She limps in pain, but she still keeps up with him. Galvez climbs over over another fence. This time, Charlotte stops at the fence and grabs her chest. Gibby and Allison drive up, and Gibby gets out of his car and runs up to Allison. She's looking pale. Galvez. I know. He went over the fence. I know. I need to go to the hospital. I know. <laughs> End of Act 2. <laughs> act 3. Interior. Emergency room later that night. Charlotte sits on the edge of the emergency room bed. Dr. Bradley steps through the curtain and sits on her bed. Well, we got all the tests back. Uh, your recent heart attack is directly related to a condition called congestive heart failure. Your heart's function as a pump is to deliver oxygen-rich blood, and it's inadequate to meet your body's needs. Okay, so what's the plan? Well, uh, there are several treatment options, but regardless of treatment, one-fifth of those diagnosed with CHF will only live for a year, and one-half will succumb to the disease within five years. That plan sucks. I'm really sorry. Charlotte looks around a second and puts her hands on Dr. Bradley's face. He looks up at her. Don't be sorry. I love to defy the odds. I'm amazing. Haven't you heard that? (laughs) Charlotte gently kisses Dr. Bradley on the lips. (laughs) Exterior hospital, night, an hour later. Dr. Bradley pushes Charlotte in a wheelchair out the door. From the reactions of the hospital staff, it's unusual for a doctor to escort a patient. Gibby is waiting by his car. Your coach awaits. (laughs) Charlotte slowly gets into the car. Gibby jumps in and starts the engine, and Charlotte waves at Dr. Bradley. Interior, Gibby's car continuous. Is it normal for a heart surgeon to escort a patient to his car? Well, it is when the patient left a few days early without officially checking out the last time. She was in the hospital. You are one crazy bitch, Charlotte. (laughs) Exterior hospital, night continuous. Gibby's car drives off. Exterior police quarters, day. Police headquarters, day. Establishing. Officers and civilians coming and going. Interior, Mike's office. Mike sits at his desk. Two suited professionals, a woman, Jones, and a man, Shaw, sit across from him. Charlotte enters. Mike, I just got back and saw your note. Uh, Charlotte, please close the door. Detective Tanner, uh, we're with Human Resources. I've already talked to you guys about the 24-stop shooting. This is not about that. It's about you. We've become aware of your medical condition. Charlotte looks at Mike. Mike doesn't make eye contact. Until you can pass all the medical tests, you will be placed on light duty. And since your medical situation is not going away, we want to make sure you understand that this will probably be permanent. My health is none of your fucking business. Why should anyone give a damn about... What my medical records say as long as I can do my job. Well, when you're diagnosed with heart failure, you are a risk. And that's when it becomes our business. Or you can retire with full benefits. Retire? That's it, isn't it? You want me out? That's your real goal there. Well, fuck you. 
Thanks, Mike. Charlotte exits, slamming the door behind her. Shit. Mike runs out of the office. Interior police headquarters. Mike runs through the maze of police desks. Did anyone see where Tanner went? An office points down the hall. Mike runs after her. Interior police headquarters hallway continuous. Mike catches up to Charlotte, who is leaning against the wall. Mike grabs her shoulders and turns her towards him. Why didn't you tell me about your heart condition? I had to find out from those jerk-offs. You're already caring for one sick person in a hospital. You don't need two. Besides, it doesn't matter because now everybody knows. And that means I'm screwed. With all of these procedures and rules, I can't do my job. Since when have you ever followed procedures and rules? I'm going to take a few days off. Good. Good. Are you going to be okay? Not if you keep asking me that. Charlotte walks away. Interior, Bergen's Tavern, night. A typical Irish pub. Charlotte and Gibby are sitting at the bar, and a Dodgers game is on in the background. Charlotte has two empty glasses in front of her and is drinking a third. Gibby obviously has heard the bad news about Charlotte. Less than three hours ago, I had my whole life ahead of me. Now... I don't know what to say. I mean, God, competitive heart failure? (laughs) Congestive. It's pretty much terminal. How long have you got? If I'm lucky, five, but... Could be a lot sooner. Basically, I'm living on borrowed time, ticking bomb. Only, instead of going out in a huge blast, I'm probably going to die in my sleep. Or worse, face first into a plate of spaghetti. After every sentence, you should start saying, If I'm wrong, may God strike me dead. (laughs) Charlotte laughs, finishes her drink, then signals the bartender for another. (laughs) So sorry, partner. Really, I... If there's anything I can do, anything... Thanks. You know, I've been thinking... Most of us never know when we're going to leave this earth. I do. Give or take a year or two. And it's scary as hell, but at the same time, it's instantly cuts through all the bullshit and your mind just becomes clear. The bartender gives Charlotte another drink. That is, until you get drunk enough where it isn't so clear. You got that. They toast and drink. All my life, I wanted to help people. Make the world a better place. I can't do that on a light duty, sitting behind a desk, waiting to die, and I won't do that. What's your next move? Watch the Dodgers with you, and then a little soul-searching. Charlotte drinks, Gibby drinks, and they both watch the game. Begin montage. Exterior Santa Monica Beach, early morning. Charlotte is running along the beach with Sam, the dog, by her side. Wide-angle beach. We see Charlotte and Sam have been running a long way. Two, interior neighborhood gym, day. Charlotte works out with weights. She's in pain, but determined. Interior indoor, in, indoor gun club shooting range. Charlotte wears a headset and shoots a pistol at a target. She finishes the magazine and holds up her other hand and shoots another pistol, almost, almost continually firing. We reveal standing next to her is the gun club member who is staring at her with mouth open in disbelief. Four, exterior remote highway near beach day. Charlotte drives her car up the coast faster and faster. She floors it around the curve, then she slams on the brake. Traffic is backed up for a mile. Shit. She shakes it off, puts the car top down, applies some sunblock, gets out of the car and lies on the hood when she ready to get some sun. Exterior, mountaintop, near sunset. Charlotte sits on the edge of a trail and looks over the city. There's a backpack beside her, revealing its contents of a large water bottle and an almost empty bag of Chips Ahoy cookies and a bottle of Jack. She eats a cookie while in deep thought, then eats another cookie. End of montage. Exterior, high-rise building. A sign reads, Bancroft Media. Interior, Lois Bancroft's office day. Charlotte enters through the double doors into Lois's giant corporate office. Lois's son, Jefferson Tripp Bancroft III, early 30s, attractive, hasn't worked hard ever, sits on a couch, and Lois walks up to greet Charlotte. Welcome, Detective Tanner. 
May I introduce you to my son, Jefferson Bancroft? He stands up and shakes Charlotte's hand. People call me Trip. I call him Jefferson. <laughs> Please have a seat. Charlotte sits next to Jefferson on the couch, and Lois stands. I ran in your charity marathon once. Your inner city step-up program helps a lot of people. Well, I hope your presence here means you've changed your mind. Let's just say you caught my interest. I've been looking into your daughter's murder, and what can you tell me about her fiancé, Peter Blankenship? I imagine you checked his criminal and financial background. Yes. On paper, he's perfect. So how does a successful architect get tangled up with one of these city's most powerful, dangerous drug lords? Weakness of character, panic, desperation, doesn't matter. He's not the one who harmed Rachel. He's not the one who cut her up. Lois stops herself before getting emotional. She sits behind the desk. Tripp stands up and turns to Charlotte. Uh, Detective, if if you have a few more minutes, I'd I'd really like to show you something. Sure. Lois, I'll do my best. That's all I can promise. I know my gut was right about you. Lois puts on her reading glasses and pretends to go back to work. Trip leads Charlotte out of the office. Exterior, near river, day. Trip leads Charlotte to a patch of grass. This is where they found my sister. Parts of her were here. Uh, part, of here uh, part of her was over there. She was so full of energy. She was smart, charismatic. I miss her. Charlotte lights a cigarette. My mother has a reputation for being hard, ruthless, even a bully but she is also a wonderful, caring mother. I'm guessing that she really didn't mean what she said to me the other night about wanting David Galvez dead. Oh, no, she meant it. That's what frightens me. She's worked so hard to keep our family businesses running, especially after my father died. I'm not sure she realizes the consequences of her request. If something goes wrong, it's my neck. The liability ends with me. Exactly. I'm glad we understand each other. Do you know where I can find Blankenship? The last we heard, he was staying with his par- in his parents' place in Montecito. Here's the address. Tripp gives Charlotte a folded piece of paper. Whatever you need. My mother's instructing me to provide it. 30 more years would be nice. Pardon? Nothing. <laughs> End of Act 3. <clears throat> Act 4. Exterior wealthy beach town day. Oprah lives down the road. Charlotte knocks <laughs> on the giant custom-made double doors and Frank Blankenship, 60s, answers. Charlotte displays her badge. Mr. Blankenship? Yes, I'm Frank Blankenship. I'm Detective Tanner with the police. I was wondering if I could speak with your son, Peter, about Rachel Bancroft's murder. Frank's wife appears in the doorway next to him. Look, Detective, our son has been interviewed by the police. He's inconsolable at Rachel's death. He's going to have to live with that fact and his reckless behavior contributed to her attack. I'm sure it's difficult, but if he could just answer a couple questions. He's in his room and heavily sedated. He's not answering anything right now. Have a good day. Oh, can I at least use your bathroom before the two-hour drive back? I don't think so. Frank Blankenship slams the door in Charlotte's face. God, I hate rich people. (laughs) Exterior, local taco hut day. Charlotte and Gibby sit on the hood of her car and eat tacos. Charlotte is also smoking. You know I hate that smoke. Charlotte tosses her cigarette. Gracias. You and the captain... I know there's been something going on there. Yeah? What do you know? I know it's not going to end like you want it to end. He'll never divorce his wife, and he'll never take her off that respirator. I'm worried about you getting hurt. And also, seriously, the thought of you and Salinger bumping ugly is... (laughs) Gibby can't even finish the sentence, and he shudders. Gibby, you're my partner and my closest friend, and I know your heart's in the right place. Do you want me to butt out? I get it. Your secret's safe with me. Thanks. Oh, by the way, you were dead on a, you you were dead on about the old man. He had a girlfriend on the side. They were planning to get married in Vegas. He confessed. Eighty years old, and they say he's going to get twenty five to life. I think life's going to come first. <laughs> you bring me a copy of the Galvez files. Oh yeah, here. Gibby hands her the file he's been sitting on. 
I don't want to know what you're going to do with that. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> Some unfinished business. Gibby finishes his taco and slides off the car hood. You know, Charlotte, you can't always count on me to help you out like this. Yes, I can. Yes, you can. As Gibby walks toward his car, Charlotte opens the file and starts reading the information. Exterior, city street corner day. Tango, an 11-year-old boy, takes money from two guys in a car and gives them a small bag of drugs. He turns and walks down the sidewalk while counting his money. He suddenly bumps into something. It's Charlotte. Whoa, girl, watch where you're going. Charlotte holds up a photo of David Galvez. You know where I can find David Galvez? I don't know no Galvez. Tango keeps it low. Just hanging out on the corner, you know? A moon-faced badass walks up and stands between Charlotte and Tango. I think you need to be moving along. Yeah, well, I'll be happy to leave as soon as I find David Galvez. What's your business? Let's just say it's personal. I'd rather talk to him directly. Uh, well, I'm afraid that's not going to happen. So you can take your cute little police ass back to wherever you came from. Why would you think that I'm police? Why would you think I know Galvez? Good point. Thank you. But you made one <laughs> tiny mistake. I used to be a police officer. Now I'm a cop with nothing to lose. Charlotte whips out an expendable steel baton and hits the moon-faced badass in the throat. As he lifts his hands to his throat, she cracks, in, she cracks the steel baton on his kneecap. She hits him on the side of the face, and then he goes down. Charlotte grabs Tango's jacket as he tries to run away. Give me your cash, you little prick. Tango tries to keep the money from Charlotte. She reaches in his jacket and takes the wad of cash. She lets go of Tango, and as he runs away, she kicks him in the butt. Charlotte takes the money out of the moon-faced badass his pocket. He's trying to get up, but can't. Charlotte bends down so he can hear her. Either you tell me where Galvez is, or I take the money, and you have to answer for it. I swear I don't know where he is. Nobody does. Oh, that's unfortunate. When you come to, let Galvez know that if he wants his money, come find me. My name's Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte hits him in the side of the head with the steel baton and knocks him out. Exterior of Charlotte's house that night. Charlotte is taking a large bag of dog food out of her car trunk. She locks her car and walks up to the front door. Interior of Charlotte's house foyer continuous. Charlotte enters. She drops the dog food by the door. She looks around. Something doesn't feel right. Sam? Charlotte pulls out her gun and walks into her living room. Interior living room continuous. David Galvez sits in a chair and pets Sam, who is happily sitting next to him. The henchman is in another, in another chair and holding a big knife close to Sam. Charlotte points the gun at Galvez. Google is such a wonderful tool to find people, Miss Tanner. Galvez, how typical of you to bring someone along to do your dirty work. Your dog likes me. Sam licks Galvez's hand. Yeah, he's not very bright. Charlotte, still aiming her gun at Galvez, moves closer. Calvis, you broke into my house. I have every right to kill you, so get rid of the knife. Galvis makes a hand motion, and the henchman puts away his knife. I didn't come here to fight. I'm just here to get my money, and because I'm curious as to why you're interfering with my business. And in broad daylight, I might add you. That doesn't make me look good. Your money's gone. As for your curiosity, I'm turning you in for the kidnap and murder of Rachel Bancroft. <laughs> You really think you can overpower both of us? Charlotte shoots the henchman in the arm. She hits an artery because blood gushes. He yells and grabs his arm. Yeah. Charlotte pulls out her cell phone and starts to dial. She suddenly freezes as we hear a gunshot, a gun being cocked. Angle on Charlotte, as two, Gal as two of Galvez's men are behind her, pointing shotguns at her head. Back to scene. Charlotte lowers her weapon and her cell phone. Galvez stands up and walks over to her. Back off. Stay out of my business... Or you and your dog. Galvez kicks Sam. The dog yelps. Won't get off so easy next time. 
One of the gunmen hits Charlotte over the head with the shotgun, and she falls to the ground half-conscious. Galvez, the two gunmen, and the bleeding henchmen leave. Don't get blood on my jacket, pendejo. The, the door slams shut. Charlotte slowly gets up, gets up on her knees, and her head is bleeding a little. She pets Sam to see if he's okay. She grabs her gun and crawls over to the cabinet in her living room. She puts the gun on top of the cabinet, opens a drawer, and takes out two pistols and a short-barreled shotgun. She notices that Sam is staring at her. What? <laughs> Exterior City Road later that night. Charlotte is driving in a seedy neighborhood. Interior Charlotte's car. Charlotte's cell phone rings and she answers it. Gimby. Fat Jack's Bar on Century Boulevard. Charlotte kisses the phone and hangs up. Exterior street in front of Fat Jack's Bar, night. There's a small group near the entrance. Charlotte's car pulls up about 100 feet and puts it in park with it still idling. Her plates have been removed. Charlotte's point of view. We see Galvez and some of his men, including the henchmen, are among the crowd. He's smoking a cigar and being the center of attention. Interior, Charlotte's car. Charlotte opens the window and points the short-barreled shotgun at the crowd, and she honks the car. Exterior, street in front of Fat Jack's bar, continuous. People turn and look at Charlotte's car. Guns are drawn. David Galvez. Silence. Galvez, are you going to hide behind your little boys? I'm calling you out. Silence. Then Galvez steps out of the crowd to the edge of the street. <laughs> you seem to have a death wish. Kill her. The henchmen and a few other men shoot at Charlotte's car. Charlotte ducks down. Her windshield shatters and the shooting stops. The henchman walks toward the car. Interior Charlotte's car continuous. Charlotte is covered with glass, but unhurt. She's lying across the seats on top of her license plates. She puts down her shotgun and slowly moves her leg to the accelerator. Exterior street continuous. Charlotte pops up in the driver's seat and hits the gas. Tires screech as she heads right toward the henchman. The henchman shoots at her once and then leaps out of the way. Instead of turning toward the fleeting henchman, Charlotte keeps going straight and runs right into the sidewalk and into Galvez. Galvez goes flying and hits the edge of the car hits the edge of the car roof before he lands in the street people just stare charlotte's car does a u-turn hitting a street lamp and she floors it towards galvez the two people yell and jump out of the way as charlotte's car turns over to galvez she spins her car around and pulls up next to galvez lying on the street she throws the cash she took earlier on top of the galvez's body as she speeds away most of the crowd rushes over to collect the scattering money and they trample over his body Exterior street later. Several squad cars are parked along the block. Crime scene tape is around most of the area where Galvez and the crowd were gathering earlier. Galvez's body is covered with the tarp. Mike, Gibby, and Allison are standing to the side watching. Officer Garcia approaches. Yeah, nobody's talking. Galvez made a lot of enemies. By the time we got here, his body was run over, trampled with dozens, and then torched. Keep trying. In the meantime, we're doubling the number of black and whites in the area for a few days. Just to make sure things stay calm. Officer Garcia walks back to the crime scene. So, what's your opinion? I'd say closed casket. Oh, shit. Ritzy? Ritzy. Maybe it was a rival gang or someone inside his group who wanted to be the boss. Maybe. Go and interview some of the witnesses again and see if there's anything else. Okay, Captain. Allison walks away. Mike and Gibby stare at the scene. Looking at the tire marks, looks like they hit Galvez twice while being shot at. Seems to me it would take someone with a lot of balls to do this. That it would. End of Act 4. <laughs> Act 5. Interior Charlotte's house, night. Charlotte opens the door and Dr. Bradley enters with her. He's wearing a tailored shirt and pants, both fitting him like a glove. The two are obviously at the end of a date. I actually had a nice time. Dinner was perfect. You were perfect. Dr. Bradley kisses her. It's obviously a hot kiss. Wow. That was perfect, too. But... But my life 
is a tad complicated right now. <laughs> I'm not afraid to complicate it. Also, to be honest, I find it a little creepy that you want to date someone whose time is limited. <laughs> you need to see a shrink about your commitment issue. Right. Dr. Bradley smiles. Right. Okay. Well, uh, I really liked you, Charlotte. Dr. Bradley kisses her on the cheek and leaves. Charlotte closes the door and she takes off her heels. She removes her dress as she walks into her bedroom. Interior bedroom, 6.15 a.m. Charlotte is sleeping. Sam is asleep on the bottom of Charlotte's bed. And the phone rings. Charlotte looks at the clock, which reads 6.15 a.m. She answers the phone. Mike is on the phone. Hello, friend. Interior Charlotte's bedroom, continuous. Hello, friend. Charlotte curls up with her pillow. Intercut Mike's bedroom and Charlotte's bedroom. Sorry, I'm calling so late. Or so early, I mean. I just got home. David Galvin was murdered over on Century Boulevard. Well, that'll save some, save some taxpayer money. Yeah. Washington and Gilroy have had their hands full. Any suspects? No. Witnesses? Strangely, no one saw a thing. Hmm. <laughs> I thought that since you were poking around in this case, maybe you might have an idea or two or who could have done this. Well, is that the only reason you called? What do you think? Charlotte smiles. Interior church building next night. Same victim support group is assembled. The meeting is about to begin. Charlotte enters. She looks around and sees Lois already seated with her purse on the chair next to her. Charlotte walks up to the chair with the purse. Lois sees this and then turns to a group member sitting on the other side of her. Would you mind moving to another chair so that my friend can sit next to me? I'd appreciate it. The group member seems a little irritated but moves. Lois motions for Charlotte to sit and Charlotte does. Thank you for catching my daughter's color. Thank you for fixing my car. <laughs> Finally got that paint job. It would have cost less to buy a new one. Very well. <laughs> I'm very glad you agreed to meet me here. It's the first time in my life I've ever been a part of a group. I'm surprised how therapeutic it is. That's why they call it therapy. <laughs> Listening to the stories of other victims puts things in perspective. I think this group is good for you, too. Well, I'm sure you're right. But I'm no longer required to be here, so what do you really want? I want to help you help others like you helped me. Financially, legally, you name it. Charlotte starts to get up. Lois grabs her sleeve. My son doesn't believe I'm serious, but I am. This is not a game or the overboard rich old woman. I understand exactly what I'm proposing and what could be involved. Lois, you're a tough lady, and I know you mean well. I have $50,000 cash in my purse. Charlotte sits down. Consider it a retainer. <laughs> Lois pulls out an envelope and puts it in Charlotte's lap. Charlotte looks at it for a few seconds and then puts it in her jacket pocket. The victim support group settles down, settles down to begin. Okay, let's get started. I was just talking to Peppa, who has been coming to our victim support group for three months, and she feels like she's ready to share her story. Peppa. The group applauds as Peppa Flores takes a deep breath. My name is Peppa Flores. I'm 22 years old. <clears throat> Last summer, I was riding my bike to the community college. It was 7.45 in the morning, so campus wasn't very busy. I was four blocks away when a man, a white man with thick, hairy arms, ran up behind me and grabbed me off my bike. Group members listen with understanding eyes. I screamed. He held a knife to my throat and said, Shut up or I'll cut your fucking neck. He dragged me behind a dumpster. As Peppa Flores continues her story, Lois looks over at Charlotte, then Charlotte looks at Lois. Lois nods, and then Charlotte nods. 
Close up on Charlotte, we see her face as she listens to Peppa Flores' story. As he ripped my clothes, I was thinking, why me? Why me, God? Isn't anyone going to help me? Fade to black. End of show. Wow. Um, Man, that... uh, Jeff is a little emotional after that ending, but we're just going to get right into this interview. (laughs) Evan, you? Yeah, I know. Me? Thank you, guys. Um, Thank you, guys. Um, What'd you think? It was so much fun to watch you guys. Good, good. Have you heard this table read yet before? Yeah, you sent me a link, so I'm... Oh, no, I've heard this specific. Oh, no. Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, Was there anything that you kind of gathered this time having it read that maybe surprised you based on what you'd already written? I know, you wrote this pilot a number of years ago, right? Yeah, it was uh, the end of 2013, but into 2014, because that's when I got the Writers Guild diversity thing. Yeah, actually, before we talk about the actual read, I do want to talk about the history of this script, so I'm going to jump back a little bit. You said this did win an award with the WGA. Can you give us a little more on that? Yeah, it's it's not an award. It's much as their diversity program has the Writers Access Project, and they um, solicit scripts from writers who have uh, some credits already, uh, produced credits, so they're not beginning writers. And uh, they they have different categories. They have women, they have uh, minorities, they have lesbian, gay, bisexual. LGBTQ. Thank you. And uh, um, they have writers over 55. So it's um, people submit, and they have a couple winners in each category for drama and comedy, and then they go through these uh, seminars in the early winter, and it's led by Glenn Mazzara, who is a wonderful showrunner, and also the diversity group over there. And uh, they... um, they just get you ready um, for sort of restarting everything or, um, or just going through the business. And, and they also highlight your script, and they promote it to different showrunners. And so my script, Charlotte, is what got me in there for the, the group of women. And after the seminars, uh, the staffing season, they got it into the hands of Jeff Rake, who created The Mysteries of Laura mm-hmm. for American television. It's based on a Spanish show. And um, that started Deborah Messing as a cop. And uh, so I got the job right away from it. So it was like, boom, boom, boom. (laughs) I have to ask, did did yours win for drama or comedy? Because there was definitely both of, a little bit of both of them. Drama. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's Um, it's an hour long. I'm sorry, with TV now, there's sort of a mixture. So they go hour and half hour, and most hours are considered drama. Oh, yeah, got it. I I think everyone is very confused about how to classify TV now because, you know, Orange is the New Black, even though it's an hour long show, it feels so, it feels like a comedy sometimes and I actually love that like mm-hmm. I think maybe 10 years ago this might not have a place to live but I think a script like this I can totally see it on Netflix or Amazon even Showtime I think of weeds a little bit mm-hmm. um, can you talk about some of your influences for this script specifically well this script uh, was influenced by television the way it is going right now it's mm-hmm. a wild west and it's so exciting that especially when you have Netflix and you have Amazon and Hulu and um all even even the networks are opening up, yeah. and you, it, it's it's much more of the writer's perspective, and there's a little bit more um, control from the writer too, which is nice because of there's so much competition now. Mm-hmm. And there is a show called Justified, starring Timothy Oliphant, and that really got me excited about writing dramas. And so I was I just got used to 
watching dramas every night and finding out what's out there and, and what it's like and studying scripts. And then I um, developed this this Charlotte Danner. Mm -hmm. But and I actually got to meet Gramios, the creator of Justify, because of Charlotte, and it was really it was really great. Oh, it's cool. a wonderful show. Yeah. It is interesting because your history before this pilot was primarily in comedy and specifically sort of joke writing for live telecasts, mm -hmm. right? You have experience with late night, you have experience with award show writing. Can you sort of talk about that transition? It's a, a really interesting one and you can feel it in the script because it is a very funny script. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. But I'd sort of like to hear about, just as a writer, what that transition was like. Uh, my beginning writing happened in, in radio in Orlando, and uh, just before Daryl Hammond got on SNL, he was on morning radio, and I was on the show with him. <laughs> I love Daryl Hammond. That's so great. great. Yeah. He's a super guy. And so I got to write for all these characters he does. He does endless characters. You guys have only seen a minuscule <laughs> part of characters, and he does original characters, too, so I got to learn very quickly how to write in different voices, and that ended up being my expertise down the road, because when I finally moved out to L.A. and I started writing some more, I got a job on Whose Line Is It Anyway, which writing for jokes for Drew Carey, but I, I love comedy, and then started getting the award shows and, and writing for Steve Martin and Billy Crystal and oh. some and then got the Tonight Show. I've heard of them. They're kind of bunch of no names. And uh, got the Tonight Show and was there for about five years writing for Jay, and which was super. He's by the way the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, that's um, great. So it was it's you do the award shows and with the Daily Show like Tonight Show, um, that gives you skills that are really great with being in a writer's room because you need to um, write things right away. You need to react in the moment. You have to know the audience and be there for your talent or whatever. If you're on a, an award show and either something happens in the show and the host needs to do a joke about it, mm -hmm. then you've got to be on your toes and know what's happened, what's happened in the past, uh, you know, what's mm -hmm. you know, what the audience like in the theater and at home, et cetera. So it's good to be prepared and it's good to write on that. Or if a, a presenter for the award comes backstage and they have never maybe seen the script before and they're looking at the teleprompter and go, I wouldn't say that, so they want to make a change, you need to know all all of the background mm -hmm. to know what's okay to say and what's not and what the producers do. So you're, you're used to thinking on your feet. Mm -hmm. And so that experience is really great in being in writer's room, especially even with uh, drama like The Mr. Zalora. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was uh, finishing up on The Tonight Show, I had worked with Andy Breckman on one of the Oscar shows. He, he created Monk. Mm -hmm. And he called me one day and said, hey, would you ever want to write an episode of Monk? It was the last year Monk <laughs> was on the air. And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, okay, you're writing an episode of Monk. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Like this doesn't work that way, yeah. but uh, I ended up writing Mr. Monk and the Dog, and so uh, that was a blast. I got to go to New Jersey where the writers' rooms were, and and, and you learn right away about how to do a mystery, which I grew up with mysteries. And mm -hmm. I love them. I'm like, and that had a lot of comedy too. That was actually one of the few dramas, the hour longs, that was categorized as a comedy. Yeah, that's true. Um, very rare. So then after that is when I had that period of what do I do, and I've got, I had different little jobs here and there, but then I wrote Charlotte Tanner, and I loved it, and and then with the Mysteries of Laura, we had a mystery every week, and you learn how to murder. So I murdered five people on <laughs> Mysteries of Laura. <laughs> so. Congratulations. <You're> scary. <laughs> yeah. 
exciting. I love a good procedural, but I feel like a good procedural is kind of rare. And if I'm reading this right, this is set up with a sort of procedural format. Is that right? Yes. This is set up as a procedural format. Yeah. Great. So what do you think? I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I feel like the line between a good procedural and a bad procedural can be kind of thin. Um, but I, a good one is, it's so great to watch. It's such a good binge. I feel like this is the kind of show I would love to binge if it were on the air. What do you think are some of the differences between kind of a, a fresh procedural and maybe kind of a more tired cliche one? Wow. <laughs> I know that's kind of a big question, but. I don't know. I, I can only speak on, at least right now, what I see Charlotte mm-hmm. doing in that, as you know, she's gonna she's dealing with this health issue, and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But she's also very very determined. But she when, now that she has this uh, vengeance type of character, where she's going to go out and take out people, well, it's not always going to be that easy because even though she um, doesn't have to worry about living or dying, because that gives her the uh, advantage to the on the bad guy. But she also has to worry about other people living or dying, mm. or other people getting hurt, or other, not just physically, but also their careers. So there is going to be lots. There are going to be a lot of complications. There are going to be complications in the in the characters of, of who are the victims, because the victims sometimes from the group, sometimes from the paper that she's or, or online that she reads a story and she goes after it. But it's just that exploration of, okay, with the right and wrong. It's all, you know, there's the black and white of right and wrong, but there's never black and white. Mm -hmm. And so that's where she has to learn, because being a cop, it was real easy to focus on black and white. Mm -hmm. So that's why with the procedural, with with Charlotte, I like it because there are no rules. And you can work in a serialized part of it, too. A lot of shows are doing that, even if they're serialized. They have that underlying... Oh, here's that long story underneath, but we have a little murder mystery each week. So, yeah. so speaking of procedurals and like you know you writing one, what I think is so interesting about this script is that since it is formatted like a procedural, there's something that's so comfortable and familiar about it. But what makes it so interesting is that it's there's still something so fresh. Like the whole time I'm sitting here, it's like a page turner. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whereas like most procedurals, you're like I, I'm pretty sure I know where this is gonna go. Um, how did you? toe that line of, of writing a procedural so that your audience is like, ah, I know what I'm getting into, but then the whole time you're kind of blowing their mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, how'd you spice up the procedural, I, I guess? Up? Yeah, like, what did you do to change it from, like, the typical everyday the procedural? The lead gets stabbed in the face immediately. The I think that's yeah. like, yeah. wow, this is not the same that we've seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she gets stabbed in the face, and I had a lot of people were like, no, they didn't like it, friends of mine who read it, because you have a group of friend, writers who read yeah. it, and they like, but, but she's going to be, I'm like, no, eventually you just have a little scar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does, I, love but, I love that. That was um, one of my favorite things about the show was that I was like, holy shit, this is not what I thought it was yeah. going to be. I'll tell my friends who comment. And I'll yeah. tell them, Suck it, other writers. Yeah, right. <laughs> also, it gives you a chance to see where her head's at. Oh, that's yeah. not what yeah. bothers her. Like, that's not what bothers her. No, and it, no. And it gets, it, 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 it clears up a lot of like what you could call, like, I guess you could quote, like female issues. Like there's no female-ish with yeah. this yeah. chick at all. Like, right. no, the cut is on her face. Like there's, and that yep. did not bother her enough cheek. to need the group. Like yeah. you know what I mean? That that's I mean that's that, that's awesome. And she won't admit it's dramatic. It's tough on her, but her boss and um, how about how timely is this? The her lover is uh, um, still concerned about her and mm-hmm. her, her thing. But it, when I had I had a couple of uh, uh, development executives meeting and give some notes on this too. And and they I mean Charlotte 
shoots people. She gets, yeah. you know, cut in the cheek. She fights people. She beats the shit out of an old man. She <laughs> sleeps with people. She drinks. But they come up to me and they go, Do you, does she have to smoke? Isn't that fun? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, she does. It's like a whole I said, thing now. well, you know, yeah. she doesn't have to smoke. Yeah, but that's the issue. It's sort of the character. But, but it adds no, to the just... heart disease and everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank yeah. you. I wish yeah. you had <laughs> But I'm like, yeah, I'll you know, buy the thing and she won't smoke at all. Well, there's a whole <laughs> thing uh, with Avatar about Sigourney Weaver smoking and how um, it was like a whole, like, mm, does she have to smoke? But it's because it's just like frowned upon nowadays to have a character smoking. Yeah. So it is that funny was, that but that's it, but the... It happens. Yeah. That people right. smoke. Yeah. It's right. also kind of come full circle to where it used to be cool and it used to be so frowned upon and now it's kind of uh-huh. one of those things like it's almost like a character choice. Yeah. Like, yeah. smokes, it's like there's a thing about them. Yeah. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So, um... Yeah. That's all I definitely. have to say. But that's, that's... And then with Charlotte and writing it, I knew where the ending was going to be and I knew different chunks but I also had fun and it, it was much longer than I originally that, that is now but you just have fun with it and you're like well, I would I just was writing while I'm thinking okay what would happen next or you know I have to have a point where she is going to feel the limitations of her her heart mm-hmm. and just you know just, yeah. just, just have fun well, so speaking of those limitations and the end in general is Throughout the series, and I don't know if you've thought about it, I'm sure you have, because you're an amazing writer, um, Do you, have you thought of her letting somebody else in, such as Gibby, into the secret? Or Alice, To help maybe. her? Not Allison. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Alice. No. Maybe Alice. Um, oh, Gibby's going to be, I think, her inside, but she doesn't want to put him in a situation anyway, so she's right. got to control things, but he is there, he sort of knows, and... Um, that would be a good question after a first season yeah. or something. Yeah. But yeah. Gibby, my one, the reason I created Gibby is that, and I was played, the relationship was played really well with you guys. Fun. All of you. And uh, it's because Gibby lets us like Charlotte. Mm. Charlotte is so harsh mm. and is an asshole somewhat. <laughs> and she is, she's a good person and a great cop, but Gibby is so likable, and if Gibby likes her, we can like her. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's was genius, important with yeah. Gibby. I love, that. Yeah, I I love, love that. their relationship. It's such like a beautiful portrayal of platonic friendship between a male and a woman. I just love that. I don't know if you're planning to explore anything with them or not, but I think if I were a viewer, I would just love to see them kind of bro out the whole show. Yeah, yeah. 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 no, no, he... he they sort of hinted at it. I think they boinked once. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Ten years ago, but yeah. probably a really bad choice, and they realized it, and that was it. And, yeah. But they got no, it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're best friends. Yeah. yeah, it's really sweet, and I did love the way you two played it. Thank you. Um, the oh, ending, you. the ending is so good. I mean, like, yeah. I can't imagine a single person that would finish this pilot and not watch the second episode. Just yeah. the way tonally that that decision is just bold. She's and like it's, the Punisher. I know. You know I, mean, I love. <laughs> yeah, um, everything I thought was surprising, like from the, oh, she gets stabbed in the face, and then we relax again for a minute as as we set up like her relationships with other people, and then the way she takes out this drug dealer is like, sort so of very awesome. shocking and just goes for it. So it keeps sort of like not doing what you expect as I keep watching forever. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know you sort of wanted to take this very empowered female kind of feminist approach to vigilante bounty hunting? Like, was that something from the beginning you knew? Well, Justified, again, the show Justified was is, was so um, important for me wanting to create a character like this because he was a marshal, which marshal, U.S. marshals do have a little bit more leeway than police officers, but 
he was not he didn't play by the rules either and I thought it was so well written and, and all the characters and the bad guys were the best and um, and he wasn't hard to look at yeah. <laughs> sorry uh, my husband. I have a, oh, he, you know, it's just that was a character, and so for me, I'm not thinking feminist. I'm just thinking this character yeah. that is, as you see, she's got a relationship that's platonic, but then she's, you know, she's very sexual in her ways with Mike and with the doctor, mm-hmm. and um, so it was just that I didn't really think about feminist uh-huh. as much as just this. This, char- this character, and it does shock people sometimes. I love that she just used the doctor. She's like totally just uh, use and abuse that guy. She's yeah. like, no, you're my alibi no. tonight. This was fun. Yeah, go home. I think person. she was sincere, though. Yeah, uh, honestly, like I mean, as in she liked the. Well, obviously, she liked the guy. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> and uh, but then I think that she's what we're going to be finding out even more is she's got major commitment issues. That's why she is attracted just as much to Mike because he can't get married. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's his true. wife is in the hospital, so this is a comfortable thing for her. Yeah. She mm-hmm. still has great feelings for him, but that's that's just easy for her. And then when she found the doctor and then she's like, oh, and she found a very easy way to get out of it. But we have she has commitment issues. Yeah. So. Um, I have a quick question about page 35. I don't usually do this, but it's the scene between Bradley and Charlotte, and it's yeah. when he kind of tells her that she's sick, and she has the line where she says, don't be sorry. I love to defy the odds. I'm amazing. Haven't you heard that? <laughs> Not only did I tear up during that, but it's just such a powerful scene. And and we always talk to writers about this because it's like, you know, we ask, how did you get down to seven lines? They're like, well, it started off as like six pages, and we kind of cut it down. I just, can you talk to me a little bit about this scene and like writing it and that line specifically? Just because I think, personally for me, I think that's the most powerful page in this whole 60 mm-hmm. pages. Oh, wow. I, that's just that, me. That may, no, that's exciting to hear that because that w- wasn't one of my higher moments, but it's really cool about that. I would just say that she um, is really good dealing with people and identifying it and uh, and identifying a moment and uh, uh, shows major confidence. Mm -hmm. And it's not just her bragging, she's, it's completely flirtatious too. So she's, that was a total flirtatious move and her also turning she doesn't want to hear about the dying anymore. She's turning it. She's changing the subject, and she's changing the subject the way a guy would change the subject. <laughs> right. And a guy would change the subject that way. So even though it's it's true. So but it, it, thanks for that. I yeah, I just think it was very. Really it's just really. like the quintessential way she would receive a terminal diagnosis. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. no other way so that perfect. Charlotte would do that. I don't think. Yeah. Which oh, is why that's it's cool. yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to steal your question, and I kind of teased it at the beginning, but having heard it read aloud for the first time, is there anything that surprised you? Maybe something that you hadn't seen before, or just any reactions to the verbal reading versus just having written it? Um, I felt Lois was even more of a, a sympathetic character even than mm-hmm. I try to make her because she's she's based on a friend of mine's friend who is a very old rich lady and she does a lot of stuff and she's this great character and, and it's sort of based upon some rich families in LA too because I looked them up saying how is the matriarch how does she yeah. deal with it but it you know the way you read it too was really nice to have the, the little bit of heart to it and the, see it, feel the emotion but repressive it was fun to hear it <laughs> out loud and I loved the um, the two women Allison and Charlotte just it was really fun to hear that angle because I was like oh am I doing it too comic bookish or I love know, the extreme. Allison yeah. stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 my favorite and so uh, you know my grandmother 
uh, collected um, <laughs> hummels. <laughs> it's like Nazis. And I had to look up. Yeah. By the way, talking about googling things, I had to look up to see if Nazis. Collected <laughs> hummels. Obviously, they, they did. did. They, of course, they did. I yeah. better get rid of my hummel collection. <laughs> well, that was just in the early 30s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, popular, but they. I mean, they, it's not like only Nazis. That's not only yeah. Nazis. <laughs> right. so the hummel people are going to be calling. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Um, does anyone else have any other questions related to this script specifically? Charlotte, or Charlotte, I'm calling you Charlotte. <laughs> Beth, do you have any questions for us before we wrap? Um, no, I, when you guys read it before you said it out loud and you said it out loud, is there something that surprised you guys as to like, oh, this really was cool that you or, you know, oh, I can hear this. Like, uh, by the way, the groping of the breasts at the end. I'm like, oh, I got to see that. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And I just, wanted to, I just want to talk about this really quick. Because when I read it, I understood that, you know, he has seen her naked and all that stuff in the past. Uh, the way that I read Daniel, and I don't know if you want to explore this in, in the future, was I thought maybe he could be like a gay best friend. <laughs> like a gay best friend on the low. And I don't mean to like make this like a stereotypical thing, but you are a female and you are writing a very strong female protagonist. And I love that, but I do feel like the LGBT community is very um, under... Um, represented. represented in media and um, you know on television. So I don't think it would be necessarily a bad thing if you made him a gay character because you know you could get away with that fondling the breast thing because it's right. her gay best friend you know what I mean yeah. and only she knows that secret of his and only he knows that secret of hers like there's so many ways that you could explore it and that's how I took it when I first read it so that's just what I wanted to say I'm, I'm wide open to that I um uh, who who knows what uh, Allison's sexuality oh, is? Oh, very true. <laughs> <laughs> Christian. Yeah. One. Yeah. True. That's fair. Yeah, so like I'm just letting you know that that was a little. That's what I've got. <laughs> Good. She's, pre- she's religious, so that's yeah. gonna be a different. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, but don't definitely it could be. I just because they're. Um, I just thought that was sort of they got something out of the way that guys and men and women can be friends. Or straight, but he does have that more mother. He's the maternal one yeah. in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. But guys, even straight guys, can be the maternal one. Yeah. But absolutely, I'm, you know, I can see. No, I'm sure you've envisioned these be, characters. I think so. that it's not going to make any difference. Honestly, it's not going to make any difference. I don't difference, think so. Yeah, think that's what I love about great. it. Yeah. yeah. And you may not know that we, I used to have a friend that's a long time ago who was. We just said he was asexual because we had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Fair and enough. So that could be that too. Yeah. Okay. I really like the way because in the beginning, my my first reaction when 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 the, the stabbing in the thigh and the cheek and and the hospital, I thought there's. When, when they we put her put her in the group, I thought this was going to become sad. I thought it was like, oh shit, she's going to be in the group, and then uh, she's going to be screwed up, and that's going to be the whole story. And I just love that that that, well, that little monologue she has in the group where she's like, no, the fourteenth time I was mugged, and, and it <laughs> yeah. just breaks out like, nope, this is not her at all. Yeah, yeah. I liked it that there was no way going toward that trope. That was very. Refreshing. That was my surprise when I read the first time. Oh, cool. Yeah, you've written parts that are, I'm sure, attractive for actors because just fun. I mean, it was so much fun for me to kind of be the audience today and just listen to you guys all kill it. I thought you guys did such a great job. And, of course, it's such a beautifully written script, Beth, and I can't wait to see what happens with it. Um, That being said, I would like you to sort of let any executives who might be listening or development people, like, how best to reach you just before we wrap. Um, I'm on Twitter. Great. (laughs) And I'm on Facebook. Perfect. I'm represented by Jeff Teddy at Brillstein Entertainment. And I'm also at Paradigm Talent Agency with Zach Simmons and Group. What's your uh, your Twitter handle? At 
Beth Armageda. Yeah, you can't just tell people you're at Twitter. Yeah. You got to follow you. Us millennials need every single detail about your social media. So, um, Beth, thank you so much thank for being here. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. This is thank so exciting. Good. Yeah, I mean, I love this script, and I would yeah. really like to see it. So hopefully we can help push this thing along. Um, and thank you for being here. It was, it was just a blast. Thank yeah. you. Um, guys, this has been the Unproduced Table Read. My name is Jeff Graham. If you want to find me online, you can do so at Jeffrey C. Graham. You can pitch me scripts there. I connected with Beth on Twitter, so that is an option. Um, if you guys like today's show, we read another script about half a year ago that's a feature called Plain Jane, mm. and I think it features an equally sort of subversive female character who's discovering her new role after a major revelation. Mm. So I really like that script, and I would check that one out. It was a great one. Um, yeah, and I also have amazing friends here that I would like to say their Twitters as well. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. I am Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. I am Timothy Mike. I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me at Roxy Stryer. Everybody, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me at Andrew Guy everywhere. Hey, I'm Haley O'Connor. That's Haley with two Y's. If you don't use two Y's, you're not two Y's. That's Haley O'Connor on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Adrian Snow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. I'm Joe Sanfilippo. You can find me on the Twitters at Joe Flippo, and my website is Joseph Sanfilippo. Good luck with that.com. <laughs> Beth, thanks again for being here. Thank you, guys. And, guys, thanks for being here. We'll see you next Friday at 10 a.m. Bye. Bye, guys. Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.